I V M. Welcome everyone to this week's Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast and we have a very special guest with us. It is Mr. Craig McMillan, ex-New Zealand cricketer, ex-batting coach of the New Zealand cricket team and now commentator. Maka, welcome to the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's fantastic to have you. As I was just saying while we were offline, uh, that your vintage is actually where Varun, Ashwin and I kind of grew up watching cricket. We were all 80s kids. We watched cricket through the 90s. So your career almost coincided perfectly with our growing up watching cricket. We actually remember the New Zealand team not really being the black caps, but we remember there was a bit of green in your jersey. And uh, that was probably the 99 World Cup, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, it was. 99 World Cup. Sort of late 90s, we had that green or teal, as it was called, um, through our one-day strip. But uh, luckily, we went back to the black, which I think probably resemb- well, is, is a, uh, resembles New Zealand, doesn't it? That black colour. So it was always nice to get in the black uniform. Yeah, it's great. And, and thank you so much again for making the time. I know you're busy. You're flying between, I think, Hamilton and where are you off to tomorrow? Yeah, off to Wellington. So um, another T20 match between India and New Zealand tomorrow night in Wellington. Um, obviously, the last game in Hamilton finished in the early hours of um, Thursday morning. So it was a, a very late finish last night. Yeah, and I'm sure we will come to the 30-20. But Maka, let's go first to your career and your origin story. I mean, we love getting origin stories on this podcast. So let me ask you, how did you get into cricket and who introduced you to cricket? Was it a family member, friends? Did you play at school? How did you get into cricket? Uh, well, as a as a kid growing up in New Zealand, obviously there's two main sports, uh, rugby in the winter and, and cricket in the summer. And... Um, I love playing cricket. As soon as I picked up a cricket bat, um, uh, loved playing the sport. So it probably started at school. Um, I, I didn't have a brother. I had a sister. So there wasn't a lot of time spent in the backyard playing cricket because she had no interest in cricket. Um, so I was generally with friends. Um, started at a young age around, I think, first time sort of four or five and, um, and went from there, really. Let's talk about your career against India. I mean, you've had a very successful test career, averaging just a shade under 40. You had a fantastic T20 career by any uh, measure. But let's talk about your games against India, because obviously we're an Indian cricket podcast. We focus on Indian cricket and the IPL. But you seem to really enjoy playing India. You really enjoyed the spin, maybe the heat. What what brought out uh, the best in you against India? Well, I love playing India because um, the challenge of playing spin, um, I love touring India because it was just so different to New Zealand. The conditions, the food, uh, the weather, the heat, all those things you just, as a New Zealander, you weren't used to because you didn't really experience them in New Zealand. So I love that challenge that when you toured India, things were so different. Um, I love playing spin. I saw it as a real challenge playing spin and always tried to approach it in an aggressive manner, which... Um, works sometimes, other times it, um, it didn't work. But but I sort of stayed true to that philosophy of um, looking to get after spinners and attack them where I could. So I just enjoyed the whole challenge of India because as a young kid, I think the first time I toured there was around maybe 96, 97. I made my one-day international debut actually in Hyderabad against Sri Lanka. We were playing against uh, Pakistan, India, 
Sri Lanka and us, so it was a quad tournament. Um, so that was my first real touring experience, and I was just fascinated by the country, you know, the way that the people love their cricket, love their cricketers. Um, and so I guess that's perhaps one of the reasons why it brought out those good performances in my game. Fantastic. And you did really well against India, but I'm going to put you on the spot and it's barely been a few minutes in, into the podcast. But <laughs> who was the toughest spinner that you played? You had some great battles with Warney, but you scored hundreds against Kumble, Harbaj, and you played in the era of Murli. You probably got the best of Saklen as well. I mean, some fantastic spinners in your era. So who did you find the most difficult to play? Such a tough question because the names you've just mentioned, I mean, they're just the greatest spinners of all time. And I would consider myself very lucky that I played in that era where those guys were playing as well. But it was certainly challenging against all of those spinners and they were all a bit different. They were all great. They all were unique in the way they turned the ball and, and delivered the ball. I probably had the most difficult to begin with with uh, Murali just because his action was so different and you never knew sort of what the delivery was going to do. He was harder to sort of get your head around. But probably it will say over time that Shane Warne probably got me out the most. Um, and he was just a genius, you know, leg spinner. Um, it's very difficult to bowl leg spin. Um, the control that he had, um, the different um, variations he had with the ball. And I just love trying to attack him, you know, because I always felt that at some stage he was going to get you out. So I tried to attack him before that happened and tried to, put him off a little bit, but certainly at different times, um, Kumble and Harbhajan were a, a terrific duo in India um, and they had some pretty helpful conditions, obviously, when you played India in India. Um, and Kumble was a different leg spinner to Warne. He bowled a lot flatter, a lot quicker, didn't turn the leg spinner as much, but was just so accurate with um, the deliveries he bowled. He never gave you a bad ball to hit. Harbhajan Singh was one of those guys that, um, enjoyed a battle, enjoyed a bit of confrontation. So when I tried to attack him, um, he would come quite hard at you. So it ended up being um, a nice wee battle whenever you faced Harbhajan. Um, and I think, you know, those early tours of India certainly shaped the way I played spin and, and my ability to, um, you know, rotate the strike. There's a whole lot of things that you don't get to learn in New Zealand because our pitches are very different that you had to learn quickly in India if you were going to be successful. It's interesting, Maka, that you mentioned that Kumble was a different kind of spinner than uh, than Warney because in India we have a, a joke that says that Kumble was a fast bowler and Venkatesh Prasad was a leg spinner, but we, we won't dwell on that. <laughs> let's just move on to the third T20. Now, while we were setting this chat up, I said, let's discuss the three T20s. There's so much cricket that's been played, right? I mean, we've just come off, India's just come off playing Australia um, back home. Uh, they've landed in New Zealand four days later. They've started the T20 series. So the first two T20s, I mean, were kind of par for the course. But I mean, the series really did come alive today. And it was just fantastic cricket all around, I thought. Um, so any anything in particular that stood out for you over the first two games before we speak about the the third game in more detail? Well, I think it's been interesting that um, I think it's been a highly competitive series despite New Zealand being 3-0 down. I think they had opportunities to win that first match um, at Eden Park. I think that was a good opportunity. As you mentioned, um, India were just off the plane. They'd only 
a day or two off the plane from India after playing that series against Australia. That was the one that New Zealand really needed to win while India were a little bit off colour, but they couldn't quite finish that game off. India got better in the second game, um, almost methodical in how they beat New Zealand in game two. Then last night, um, it was just a great, a great game of T20 cricket in Hamilton. Um, but again, the thing that comes through is India's resolve, um, that intensity that Virat Kohli brings to the field and his players seem to embrace. Um, and New Zealand have been close but just haven't been able to get over the line, which is really frustrating um, because I thought for a large part last night New Zealand probably deserved to win. Um, Kane Williamson batted brilliantly. Looked like they were going to get them home. They needed two runs off four balls in that final over. But you have to take your hat off to Mohamed Shami, who bowled a terrific last over to get them to the super over. Um, and India just never lie down. They're always fighting. And, and you know against the great sides, and I certainly regard India at the moment as a great side, you have to do everything so well. And the little things matter in T20 cricket. So whether it's misfields, drop catches, you know, big overs, the, the little things matter and you have to win those key moments and at the end of the day New Zealand didn't India did and that's why they're 3-0 up Okay, I think you actually described how people see New Zealand a lot, people that never gave up and like a team that you can never kind of write off on anything but interesting that you mentioned Kane Williamson because I mean to all of us, Kane Williamson is a classic test batsman really nice one day player but the Three T20s we've watched him. He scored a 50 in the first game at uh, 200 strike rate. And he scored another, well, well, he scored 100 runs in the game or eventually. But his 95 was full of these big hits. I mean, has he done something to change his game recently? Or he's always had it in him, but he's played within himself a little bit. Yeah, I think the thing with Kane is that, you know, he, he does it a bit differently to most T20 batsmen. I guess um, T20 is a game of power from a batting point of view, boundaries. Whereas Kane just shows a lot of batsmanship and a lot of skill. Um, he hits a lot of gaps. Um, he hits more fours and sixes. But one of the things that stood out this series is he's had a lot more sixes. He's, he's found that power. But I have to say that the New Zealand cricket grounds are not big cricket grounds. Um, Hamilton last night was very small. The boundaries are only around 60, 65 metres. So it's it's one of those grounds that you can miss hit it for six. So it makes it very difficult for bowlers. But, um, you know, he showed in the IPL, I think, two seasons ago where he was the leading run scorer for the Sunrisers that um, he can play T20 cricket. When most people talk about Kane, they think of him as a test batsman. But he's certainly adapted um, his, his batsmanship and, and I think he's a key member at number three for New Zealand in T20 cricket as well. And it's fantastic to see him just becoming this brilliant all-format batsman. I mean, we're all big fans of Kane Williamson for not just his batting, his captaincy, his sportsmanship. So, I mean, there's lots of love for Kane Williamson all over India. And I'm sure you know that already. Yeah, um, for sure. But the other guy, when you talk about sixes and fours, is Rohit Sharma. I mean, there is something to do with super overs in New Zealand. Uh, Maka and I'm just I mean it must have been heartbreaking again to just have that slip away at the last second because there were so many moments where uh, New Zealand had that game won they did but it's never over until it's over and what are the they need a 10 of the last two balls and that super over and Sharma steps up and hit the last two balls for six um, the thing about Rohit Sharma and that's another point that you know he'd been pretty quiet in those first two matches in Auckland 
Um, you know, we know the reputation of Sharma and Coley. I mean, New Zealand fans love watching them back. I've seen a lot of them. Both those players have been pretty quiet. So it's sort of you knew that at some stage he was going to come good and produce an innings like he did last night. Um, so disappointing from a New Zealand point of view. I mean, Southie's had a number of super overs now and hasn't quite got it right. He bowled four good deliveries. And really, New Zealand were just one good delivery, one Yorker, um, one slow ball away from winning that match. But um, Rohit Sharma, you know, is one of the great, I think, one-day T20 batsmen in the world. You know, his numbers speak for themselves. And just that ability that when the opportunity presents itself, he gets the game won for India. So you have to take your hat off to him and play well. Just absolutely brilliant, and the pressure to have uh, the pressure on him that and to perform under that pressure was just fantastic. Of course, he had that escape on the first ball of the super over as well. So, a little bit of luck, but you know what they say fortune favors the brave. Uh, unlucky for New Zealand, but I'm sure they'll bounce back soon. Michael, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, which is uh, it's going to be a tough one again for you to answer, maybe. Um, is the super over the right way to decide these games, or is there a better way? Is the bowl out a better way to, to decide these games? Because we had one in the 2007 World Cup you played in. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, look, I think it's T20 is about entertainment. It's about bringing new people um, to the game of cricket um, who perhaps aren't that interested in test and one-day cricket. And I think it's from that entertainment um, point of view, I think the Super Over creates um, that buzz. Um, and, and generally, you know, it's not a bad way to separate the sides. I guess the team that's always on the wrong side that loses feels a little bit hard done by. But I prefer that you have a super over than um, than what we went through in the World Cup where it was decided on boundaries, which I thought was, you know, most unfair in terms of separating the sides. I, I think that in that World Cup final, sorry, just going a little bit off track, you know, we could have had another super over and you keep going until someone actually wins. So you take your hat off. Um, both sides were level after 20 overs, but at the end of that super over, India were ahead, so they they were the deserved winners. So I don't see anything else really that you could you could change or you could use. I know that the fans love the super over. Um, perhaps the players don't love it as much as the fans, but it certainly seems to work in T20 cricket. Yeah, it's a little bit of a shoot off, isn't it? As you say, you could have get, just kept going and had the I don't know the superest of overs at the end of it, where the teams are finally separated. Yes, of course, the the summer was a, a shame in so many ways. Of, of course, England won according to the rules and no one's ever going to take <laughs> that away from them. But um, I think there were there's there's been a lot of debate on our podcast. And I'm sure you've you've I know you have spoken about this in other forums. So um, we're not going to bother you with that. anymore. <laughs> Thank you. It's still but, pretty raw. Uh, I mean, it's it's raw for a lot of cricket fans to tell you the absolute truth, Maka. It isn't it isn't something that's that people will forget because it it's seven weeks of cricket, right? It's seven weeks yeah. of cricket, and you were part of the dressing room, and I can't even imagine what your your guys went through in the dressing room at that st- at that point. To be totally honest, let's move on to something a little bit more fun because we we're going to ask you a little bit of a lighter question about the World Cup final later. But you played in the first T20 game New Zealand ever played. And did you, at that point, uh, think that the format would ever be taken so seriously? Because I think New Zealand came out in the retro beige kits. Glenn McGrath was mocking the underarm ball and all of that <laughs> stuff was going down. But 
I mean, it's now huge business. I mean, the IPL is big money. It's all serious cricket. Here we are talking about the 30-20, which has ended in a super over. Yeah, who would have known? I think that was back in 2005, was it? That first um, T20 we played against Australia at Eden Park. Um, yeah, you hit some as, big sixes in that game. <laughs> yeah, it was seen as a bit of a laugh, to be honest. A little bit of hit and giggle, um, bit of a festival game that I don't think any of the players fully understood where it would end up um, and where it has ended up now. I, I think that was probably shown in, in the outfits that we that we wore and also the hairstyles. Um, Remember Hamish Marshall having his hair permed and just standing straight upward. A lot of the guys had facial hair, grew moustaches. Um, so it was just seen as a you know a relaxed sort of festival game, but really that was the start of you know the T Twenty revolution in many ways. Um, and you know it's sort of I guess like the effect that one day cricket had on Test cricket. There is no doubt that T Twenty cricket has certainly had a phenomenal effect on the other formats terms of the way runs are scored, how quickly batsmen bat now, um, and just the speed of the game has just gone through the roof. So um, it seems a long time ago, that, that particular match, but it was really the start of something that um, you know has really developed over the years. I suppose T20 cricket has a an influence on this four-day test match that's been proposed at the moment, given <laughs> the rate at which teams get bowled out. But, uh, of course, you also played the inaugural T20 World Cup, and... Uh, you were the leading run scorer for New Zealand. I think you got 164 runs. I'm sure you know the stats better than I do. But, I mean, how was that? Because that was the first kind of coming together of all the T20 sides from all over the world. Yeah, it was. It was great. I mean, I, I love going to World Cups because I guess as a player, that's what you play for. You know, you're trying to win a World Cup for your country. And from a New Zealand point of view, you know, we haven't had a... Well, we, we'd had a lot of semi-finals um, through my era. Um, we'd never been able to take the next step to a final, obviously, the, the last did, did, didn't Didn't you beat India in the knockout trophy in 2000? I'm, I'm thinking of Chris Cairns hitting the winning runs. In, is it Nairobi? Yes, in Champions Trophy we won 2000. Champions and, and Trophy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the only trophy that we've actually won, um, you know, back oh, all those okay. years. Yeah. Um, mm. Part of that side, we beat Pakistan in the semi-final. Had a good and India in the final. India in the final. Yeah, and we were in a bit of trouble. Chris Cairns produced a great hundred, um, and it looked like at one stage, I think Ganguly might have got a hundred. Though India were going to score three hundred, but we managed to pull them back and, and ended up um, picking up the trophy. And that's the only silverware that um, New Zealand have um, produced at a world tournament through the years. So that's well deserved. Well deserved. Yeah, it's another thing we need to knock off. And obviously, we've had two World Cup finals so that are a bit raw. But, um, you know, we're only one step away and hopefully it's not too far off. Absolutely. And sorry sorry for interrupting you. We'll go on about the T20 World Cup that, that you you played. Loved it. Yeah, like I was saying, it was all the teams were in South Africa. So um, South Africa is always a great country to tour. Um, and again, any World Cup you go to, you play is a lot of fun. We actually played pretty well. Throughout that tournament, I know that um, we bet India in the in the pool game at Wanderers, which was a good yep. performance because we knew that India were one of the favourites and certainly one of the strongest sides with, with the players they had. Um, and so we played pretty well. We bet England, um, lost to South Africa, but we ended up making the semi-finals and we ended up losing to Pakistan in, in a semi-final. And it was a shame because it was probably our worst performance 
of the tournament where we just couldn't get any momentum, couldn't get anything going. Pakistan played quite well, and they ended up um, making the final, but being beaten by India. So I guess that was almost the start of, you know, India's um, introduction to T20 cricket in many ways because the IPL started not long after and, and it went from there. And as every Dhodi fan will tell you, it was the start of the MSD era as well. <laughs> it was. <laughs> which it is was which is still months. ongoing, right? I mean, for us, it's still ongoing. I'm a huge MS fan. So. Well, he hasn't yeah. retired, has he? He's just not on the side at the moment. No, he's just released an ad yesterday as well, which is uh, quite interesting. So um, we, we don't know where that's going, but we'll see how that all works out because it, the whole the whole uh, Dhoni retirement debate as well is focused on the T20 World Cup, which is starting in a mm. few months. So, mm. so Maka, where do you think New Zealand um, New Zealand's chances lie? Are they favourites, underdogs? They're going to a lot of world tournaments as underdogs. You've spoken a lot about aggression and New Zealand being more aggressive. So who are you tipping as favourites? And are New Zealand one of the teams that you're tipping to win the trophy? Well, I'd obviously love New Zealand to win. I, I don't think they're going to be one of the favourites. I think certainly um, when that tournament comes around, they will be one of the underdogs. I think Australia and their home conditions are going to be very difficult. Um, I think India um, and England are probably the top three sides for me in terms of the style of cricket that's going to be needed to win that T20 in Australia. The thing about playing in Australia on their grounds is their grounds are very big, so... Um, you can't hit your way out of trouble, whereas in New Zealand and India, I think, are quite similar. The grounds are a lot smaller, boundaries not as big, so you can actually hit your way out of trouble. Um, in Australia, um, you know, bigger boundaries, which brings the spinners into play, but it also brings the fast bowlers into play as well. So there's not as many boundaries hit. You've got to do a lot more running between the wickets, so you've got to be a little bit more savvy, a little bit smarter with your style of play um, in Australia. So it'll be interesting to see how teams, what approach they take and how they go about that. But certainly, um, you know, Australia have got their mojo back um, in terms of performance. I know they got beaten 2-1 in the recent one-day series in India, but they're showing with the players they've got, they're confident again, they're playing good cricket, um, and I think they'll be very difficult to beat in that T20, but would love... New Zealand to um, to capture that second trophy and, and win their first World Cup. So are we saying India, New Zealand, Australia and England as the four semi-finalists, much like the 50-over World <laughs> Cup last year? That would be a great result. That would be terrific if that was the case. I think it would be. And one of the big debates we have on this podcast is why we don't have these big hitters. And um, one of the reasons India have lost the last two T20 World Cups is uh, because they haven't had the hitting power in the middle order to just blast their way out of trouble, as you said, which the West Indies teams like the West Indies and England definitely do. So uh, it will be interesting, as you say, to see how teams adapt to the big grounds in Australia. Mm. And fielding is obviously going to be a massive part of that as well. And luckily, all the four teams we named are really good fielding outfit. I mean, New Zealand fielded absolutely brilliantly today, I thought. Even when they were under the pump, when India were going at uh, 12 and over, they were just fantastic in the field. So, uh, really looking forward to that World Cup. Uh, Maka, so we called the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. And one of the reasons we called ourselves that is because we love a good sledging story. Now, um, you have got a few famous ones. So... 
we're going to ask Everyone. you to put the open question out, out there. Yeah, you've got a few few ones out there. I mean, a, apart from your five stickers in Anova, there, there's a few YouTube videos which have you <laughs> involved in a little bit of sledging. Yeah, your bowling was naturally aggressive, lots of bouncers and a few words to the batsman as well. Yeah. But is there a favorite sledging story that you have, maybe a funny sledge or something that's stuck in your mind? Oh, not really. I... Look, whenever we played it, love playing Australia because they had a great side and, and you look at that Australian side through the, the late 90s, the early 2000s and, and it will go down as one of the great cricket sides of all time with the players that they had. And they always came pretty hard um, at us whenever we played Australia. They were, to be fair, the likes of McGrath, um, Warren, um, the Wars, uh, Langer, Hayden, those guys, uh, they tended to give it to you, but you sort of... I think that when they were sledging you, you saw it as a sign of respect in, in many ways because if they didn't rate you, then they probably just wouldn't bother talking to you. It, with the likes of McGrath, it tended to just be abuse. And, and quite often, if you'd hit him for four or something, he, he wouldn't be happy, so there'd be some abuse he would throw you away. I remember one, and he, he didn't ever tend to be that complimentary about my batting ability, but one day um, after I was facing him, he asked me if my brother batted because he thought I was shit. And, and I said to him, <laughs> I actually don't have a brother, Glenn, but um, I have a sister. And he replied, well, maybe you should give her a bat because I'm sure she'd score more runs than what you can. So I was sort of, it was just a slide dig, but it was sort of one of those things with the Aussies. They were always at you. They were always, whether it was um, on the pitch, off the pitch, it's a tough place to play. And, and they were always quite happy to give you some advice on your batting style, your bowling style. Um, and what they thought of where you were. So I always enjoyed playing them in, in those private battles. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you had a little bit of a, a clash with Adam Gilchrist back in 2003-2004, but he then went on record saying that he found you a really, really tough character and that you got the most out of your ability and that he really rated, rated you. So obviously the sledging was, as you say, a mark of respect. And um, yeah, yeah, McGrath had a few backfire on him over the years, didn't he? So. Anyway. Yeah, uh, Gilly was a great guy. He was one of those guys that never really said too much, but actually, it, it didn't. That one didn't even well for me. It was at the Gabba, and I actually got a little nick, a little inside edge, um, and was caught behind. But Steve Buckner gave me not out, so Gilly was wasn't too happy about that because he'd known that I'd got a quite a thick edge on it, and just suggested that you know I probably should have been on my way, and I just said to Gilly that. I know you're a walker. Not all of us are walkers, so you know. Keep was Justin Langer around when you said that to him? I don't think he was. I'm not <laughs> sure he was. I know Warney was at the creaky, slip, creaky bat handle. <laughs> yeah, having a bit of a laugh, but I just suggested that yeah, he should keep his opinion to himself. I wasn't a walker. Unfortunately for me, the very next ball I got out. So I was facing Jason Gillespie, and he got one to nip back in, and I was given out LBW. So. It was one of those ones that I think Steve Buckner, after he gave me not out, he knew he'd made a mistake. So, unfortunately, I gave him the opportunity to give me out the next ball and that finger went up pretty quick. So, in the end, Gilchrist had the last laugh. Okay, well, no DRS there, but anyway. So, so Maka, let's move on to your kind of next role after you retired, you went on to become New Zealand's batting coach and you played obviously in three World Cups and a T20 World Cup and some ICC knockout trophies and champions trophies. 
But you were New Zealand's batting coach for five years, making two World Cup finals, 2015 as well as the 2019 version. Maka, how much harder is it being a coach than being a player? I mean, how do you keep your cool when the pressure is really on? What's it like in the cauldron of that dressing room when you can't actually go out there and play? Yeah, it's it's very different. Um, you know, I think as a player, you tend to ride your emotions tend to be a bit higher and lower, and you ride that roller coaster um, with your performance. So I think as a coach, it's very important that you're you're very level in terms of your emotions. So the players don't see you up and down; they see you as level because, as a player, it's very difficult at times to keep those emotions in check. Um, and, you know, from a playing point of view, you're just concentrating on your job, your role, your preparation. As a coach, you're trying to prepare, you know, up to 15 players in a squad, up to 11, obviously, um, in a playing um, side. So there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, and as a coach, it's, one, it's hard to switch off because after a game, you're thinking towards the next game and your preparation and what you could have done better. And if you had the chance again, would you do anything differently? As a player, you can switch off. You know, you, you can actually take some time away from the game. As a coach, it's full on. But the thing I loved about coaching was the ability to work with players, um, to see them develop, um, improve, and then put performance out in the middle and get that success. I think as a coach, that's what you're always working towards and, and that's what brings you, um, I think as a coach, great satisfaction when you see players um, improving and getting the those performances um, on the board. Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit about the culture in the Kiwi dressing room at the moment and maybe Kane Williamson in particular because we're all huge fans of Kane Williamson. Of course, Jimmy Nisham is a, is a big name as well because we love him all over Twitter and all of that stuff. But what is it like <laughs> in the dressing room? Is it, is it different from how things were when you played or is it, is it very similar? Oh, it's a strong culture that I think has been in place and formed for a number of years. I think it's based around a number of um, the senior players who have been in the side for you know, the likes of Southie, Bolt, Taylor, Williamson, Watling. There's a number of guys who have been in that New Zealand side for 10 years or more. And it's based around the guys, they work hard, they enjoy their success, but probably more importantly, um, they enjoy the success of their teammates. And that's really important, I think, within a, a team setup. And they're also, you know, as a team and as individuals looking to create milestones and success in terms of New Zealand cricketing history because we don't quite have the history that some of the other countries like India, Australia, England have. But, um, you know, what we have in certainly the last five or six years have been a very successful period for New Zealand cricket, which has been great. Kane obviously leads us in, and what you see with Kane is what you get. He's, um, he's very calm and relaxed, and that spreads through to the environment, which I think is important. Um, it's certainly embraced by the other players um, and they just enjoy you know, everyone's success and, and playing for their country. A little bit different from my era. I think we had different personalities in the sides that I played in the, and it was certainly I think you would probably classify our environment as being more intense with the personalities and the individuals we had. Um, but, um, you know, there's no right or wrong. You know, when you get a group of players, you work out their personalities and you work out what sort of culture, what sort of, um, you know, what sort of culture that side and those personalities need. And I think at the moment, um, New Zealand and have had for quite a while a very strong culture. That's really good to hear because, I mean, it, it seems like a happy team. And, I mean, it seems like, an, as you said, a bunch of individuals that enjoy each other's success. They work hard, but they, there's no 
kind of uh, anger, if there's a misfeel or a drop catch, you just kind of move on with, with life. And that's really good to see, I think, in, in a lot of ways. Even today, when Saudi went for that six, he went first and and um, shook Rohit Sharma's hand. And, of course, there was that famous uh, gesture that yeah. uh, Grant Elliott had with Dale Stain, which is, I think, one of the iconic images of World Cup cricket and will, will stay like that forever and ever. So... Really nice to hear that the dressing room culture is amazing. And speaking of the dressing room and the World Cup, Maka, we're going to ask you the question that's going to probably make you a little bit of a villain in the eyes of our listeners or the ears <laughs> of our listeners. Tell us about planning India's demise from the 2019 50-over World Cup, because obviously India lost that game. And um, what were you guys thinking in the break between, uh, well, it was a two-day international in some ways. What what was the chat in the dressing room in in that uh, rain break and the restart the next day? What what were you guys saying to each other? Yeah, it was a really strange game of cricket. Um, you know, we hadn't played India in the group matches. I think our match against India got rained out, didn't it? It's um, yeah, we were we were actually there. All three of us went to Nottingham with our parents yeah. and my sister, <laughs> and uh, we watched while the ground staff hadn't covered the uh, bits at square leg. <laughs> we just yeah. sat there. We we went from London to Nottingham and just just watched uh, it rain because it did actually rain that much, if I remember correctly. It was uh, just wet from the day before, the days before. Yeah, it had rained. I think the three days before, and it was really heavy rain. We trained indoors. Um, hadn't been outdoors at all, the rain was horrendous. And then actually on game day, like you said, it actually wasn't um, a lot of rain about. You got the odd shower that came through, but the ground was just so wet. It just absorbed so much um, water over those previous three days that um, we didn't play a game. So anyway, I felt that that was, we hadn't played India yet, we hadn't come across them. We'd played them a lot in the previous summer in New Zealand, they toured New Zealand, and I think they'd beaten us 4-1 in the one-day series. But I, I always... When the semi-final draw came out, I was really comfortable with playing India. Um, I know they were playing good cricket. They were a strong side. But I just felt, as a team, we matched up really well against India. Um, and it sort of, you know, Manchester was, we'd had some success on that ground. We'd already beaten the West Indies in a bit of a cliffhanger earlier in the tournament. Um, so we were quite comfortable about the surrounds and, and about our opposition. In terms of the match, um, I remember we were sort of unsure whether to battle bowl first because, you know, with India, they're a great chasing side. And when you've got Dhoni and Kohli in your side and Sharma um, and and they chase, they more often win than lose. And, and at the toss, we decided to bat, even though it was overcast, and the ball actually nipped around. And we were thinking after four or five overs where um, India bowled well, the ball was seeming that maybe that might not have been the right decision. I think after the power play, the first 10 overs, we were 27 for one. So it was a slow start, but we knew that if we could get through those first 10 overs and not lose two or three overs to Boomer and Bhuvaneshwa, then then we had a chance of posting a total of around 250, which we thought would be competitive. Um, because throughout the whole World Cup, scores of around 250, 260 had been pretty good. Um, it hadn't been a World Cup for scores of 300-plus. Um, and I think it was Taylor and Williamson, our two most experienced players, that got us through to two, 239, which was crucial. In terms of we had some wickets in hand um, at the end of day one, so we wanted to really attack the following morning. I think we had seven or eight overs to bat, which was really unusual going back to the hotel and, 
and the game was still being played. So it was a bit of a unique challenge for the guys, but one that they really embraced and, and were pretty relaxed about. And we felt that if we could score some quick runs in the morning, then we could get somewhere around that 250 mark. We ended up at, what, 240, 239. So we probably felt we were maybe... 10, 15 short of what we needed, but we also talked about the importance of the new ball and picking up early wickets, and we felt that if we could pick up two wickets in those first 10 overs, then then we were a good chance to defend that, and, and obviously Matt Henry was outstanding um, with the new ball, and I think we had India maybe five for three at one stage with Rohit Sharma, um, Virat Kohli, and KL Rahul back in the shed, so... Um, that's something that, you know, in your wildest dreams, you wouldn't think you would have India 5 for 3, but we knew that there was still some experience with Judasia and Dhoni, but that, that spell on those first 10 overs with the ball was probably the key to us, along with our fielding, because, again, you mentioned our fielding a little bit earlier. It's something that New Zealand sides really pride themselves on, and um, Jimmy Neesham took a one-handed, one-handed catch at point to get rid of Kartik, Guptil run ran Dhoni out when he was just starting to get going, and those two bits of cricket were really important. So, all in all, it was just really the complete performance. And um, you know, in such a pressure situation, it was great to see the guys step up and perform like that. Well, Maka, you've really brought back some memories. I have to say, five for three, twenty-five for four, and then that dead eye throw from square leg with one stump to aim at with MS Thodi caught into yeah. shot. I mean, great game of cricket. I mean, we. We, as Indian cricket fans, will never grudge losing or be upset about losing to New Zealand because as a cricket team, I think after India, we would support New Zealand, to be totally honest with you. And I think uh, Indian fans all over the world would echo that. So, of course, we were backing you guys to win the final. That went down to the Super Over. There was loads of drama, which is, I mean, I think that's been done to death. Uh, the throw from Guptail, which uh, went for four and an extra run was given and all of that. And then the boundary count back and all of the other stuff. But, Michael, if you had three words to describe the last 15 minutes of the World Cup final, what would those three words be? Oh, good question. <laughs> good question. Um <laughs> Emotional probably is one because things were just the game was up and down. We we're ahead, we we're behind. There were so many different emotions being played out in those last um, fifteen minutes. Nerve wracking, um, you know. It was hard to be sitting up on that Lord's balcony and 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 not be nervous um, uh, because of what was at stake. There was so much at stake for the guys, and obviously, you know. We felt, felt gutted at the end of it that we didn't quite get the result we're after. Probably the last one was shattered, you know, that we'd, we'd played so well throughout the whole tournament. Um, you know, we'd played well in the final, and I still believe that that was a game that, that we should have won by six or seven runs. Um, how we didn't is still a little bit of a mystery, but, um, you know, you take your head off to England to, you know, under extreme pressure of being the host nation, delivered when it counted, but, um, you know, I don't think it was the ideal scenario that um, no team won or lost, but there was a winner, and I think that, I know that change has been made already by the ICC, hasn't it, to the rules, but it's a little consolation to us, it's a little bit too late. Yeah, so I I think emotional, nerve-wracking and shattered, but I think the fourth word would be very proud of the way you all conducted yourselves, and the cricket you played throughout the seven weeks was outstanding. Uh, 
the innings by Kane Williamson, I mean, just great batting, great captaincy and great poise in the face of what must surely be a, a shattering moment for him. So uh, I think England may have won the World Cup, but I think New Zealand won everyone's hearts. And um, I mean, we say that with utmost sincerity. And, and uh, I agree. And you're right. Proud is probably one, of, now that you've mentioned it, I would put in the top three because the way the guys conducted themselves um, with that emotion after the after um, the end of that final um, was just so impressive. And it just summed the guys up. Of You know, they are a good bunch of guys. Um, they were obviously shattered and so disappointed, but um, they didn't let that show through with, with what they dealt with afterwards in terms of talking to the media and the and the way that they went about things. So from, you know, I know as a management group, we were very proud of the way the guys conducted themselves after that match. Yeah, incredible ambassadors of New Zealand cricket. So, so Maka, I wanted to finally ask you, what, what next for you? You've, you've done your stint as a cricketer, You've done a little bit of coaching. Well, you've done five years of coaching. You're now doing a commentary stint. Uh, what What's next for you now? Well, um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I coached in the IPL last year. I was with Mike Hesson at Kings Eleven, Punjab. Yep. He's moved to the RCB now, hasn't he? Yeah, unfortunately, they sacked everyone in the coaching setup last year. So, um, they, they and they sent their captain to Delhi. Yeah, so, so everyone got moved on, but... I have to say, from a coaching experience, um, being part of the IPL was fantastic last year. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you got some great relationships with some of the players that um, I worked with at um, Kings Eleven. Um, I think Maya Agarwal is, is a terrific player, and so is Kaya Rao. And, um, I really enjoy um, their company. Um, so I would love another opportunity to, to coach in the IPL because it's just a terrific tournament. Um, it really is the yardstick for T20 cricket. So hopefully at some stage that might come up. Certainly I see myself um, you know, continuing the coaching um, line further down the track. I'm not sure what that might look like or where that might be in the future. But the commentary is something that I've done over the last six months and, and it's something I've really enjoyed. Um, it's certainly a lot less stressful than coaching, I have to say that, because you can finish your commentary stint at the end of the day, go back to the hotel, and, and you don't have to stress too much about what happened that day or what's happening the next day. But certainly I, I would like to continue on with coaching um, further down the track, and hopefully some opportunities might come up. Fantastic, Maka, and we wish you all the best with that. And if you're ever in London, Singapore, Cincinnati or Toronto, drop us a line and the beers will be on us. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. Thank you for being a friend of the podcast and we hope to have you back soon. Good luck with the rest of your commentary stint and um, maybe we'll see you as uh, a coach in the IPL. Thanks, Danja. I really enjoyed the chat today, mate. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again in the future. So thanks very much, mate. There you have it, guys. A fantastic chat, an amazing chat with Craig McMillan. Just an incredibly generous person, really down to earth. I have to admit, I was quite starstruck. He's one of the players that we watched on television growing up, but he was completely chill, awesomely, like just very matter of fact, quite funny. Um, and that's a wrap on this week's show, guys. It has been a bonus episode. We obviously put out an episode last Monday about the first, T uh, first two T20s. 
We'll be back next week with an episode about the last two T20 internationals between India and New Zealand. India have already won the series. Uh, so it's been a great start to the tour of New Zealand. So guys, do remember to get in touch with us at contact at onetipone We're at onetipone-hand at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And yes, we will see you all next week. See you soon. Hello, 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 everybody. It's been another great week on the IBM Podcast Network. On What the Hell Navya, Jayabachan, Shwetananda and Navya herself dish out stories from their childhood. They discuss tough love between parents and their kids. On Pesa Vesa, Anupam talks to Bhaman Irani, President-elect Kredai, and Chairman and MD at Rustamji. They discuss the concept of buy versus rent and how to approach buying property in 2022. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus is joined by Meghnath and comedian Shad Shafi. They discuss their opinions on the ongoing Congress presidential elections and Prashant Kishore embarking on a padyatra. On the Life Manifesto, Zarina narrates a story that advocates that stress and emotions are not to be controlled but must be beautifully managed. And on the Filter Coffee podcast, Karthik is joined by Yashraj Akashi, senior ambassador of the TEDx program and curator of TEDx Gateway. They discuss the origin story of TED and its franchise model. Guys, go to our website, ivmpodcast.com. You can check out the merch store, also links to all of our social media stuff, which is at IVM Podcast. Also, do check out our YouTube channels. We have a number of channels with many of your favorite shows available as full video podcasts. Finally, we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thank you so much for making this possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from. Working Monday to Friday glued to your chair making you feel dull? Worry not. Get your 5-minute weekly dose of travel around the world with postcards from nowhere. Join me every Thursday as I explore the strange, obscure and fascinating parts of the world and bring out facets of travel you may not have thought of before. You can find us on the IBM Podcast app, website or wherever you get your podcast from.